And let's turn together to Zechariah chapter 11, page 798 in the Pew Bible. If you are not using the Pew Bible and you have your own Bible, Zechariah is very close to the end of the Old Testament, so find Matthew, go back to Malachi, and then you'll see Zechariah there, chapter 11. We'll read the chapter in its entirety. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king. And they shall crush the land and I will deliver none from their hand. So I, that's Zechariah, became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staves, one I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die? Let it die. What's to be destroyed? Let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff Favor, and I broke it annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for behold, I am raising up in a land, in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd! Woe! Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. The grass withers, the flower falls off. This is the word of our Lord, and it remains forever. Um, in this chapter, we, we find the, the minor chord that is struck in what is otherwise a, a major and an upbeat uh, book. Zechariah, we've called the prophet of hope, uh, for he really is that. Uh, nearly every uh, chapter comes back to um, a glorious pronouncement of hope for the people of Israel who at this time are, are um, 
kind of in the time between times, they, they, most of them have ret- some of them have returned from exile. They're rebuilding the city. They're rebuilding, rebuilding the temple, but it's still lacking that glory. We saw that in Zechariah chapter 4, and yet God is promising them good things lie ahead. But this chapter, he paints a picture, the Lord does, through the prophet that seems quite dismal. Uh, it starts out wonderfully, actually. Chapter 11 begins with God promising judgment upon the people who abuse Israel. And that's where we get the title. I mean, that's where I came up with the title for tonight's message, Sheep Rescued from the Shepherds. Uh, but that's really only the beginning. God then gives them this, this good shepherd that he himself appoints, and then they reject him, which really is the focus of this. So if you are a note taker, if it matters to you, I have since, um, s- since uh, press time retitled the sermon, The Good Shepherd Rejected. I do think that gets more at the theme of this chapter, The Good Shepherd Rejected. In their sin, the people reject the, the leader that God himself uh, handpicks for them, and the remainder of the chapter is about the consequences for such a decision, the judgment that comes upon the people. Okay, so the first of five things tonight. That's right, five things. It's okay, we'll go quick. Number one, a judgment announced. A judgment announced. In chapter 10, God first announced his anger against the leaders of Israel who had done a terrible job leading the people. And he uses the term shepherd. That's a common ancient Near Eastern word for a king, for a ruler. That's common. And we read in verse 3 of chapter 10, My anger is hot against the shepherds. I will punish the leaders. We come to these first three verses now of chapter 11, and that's expressed in a more, uh, more fully. It's kind of fleshed out what that judgment will look like. Scholars have noted that this is perhaps the most poetic section of Zechariah. The judgment is announced here in verses 1 through 3. And that judgment will provoke, as verse 3 says, the sound of the wail of the shepherds. This will be the ruin of these, these weak and worthless leaders. The judgment that God brings against them is described with three metaphors, all portraying how God's judgment... Uh, will come against even the most stately and strong and seemingly powerful aspects of the land. First is those cedars of Lebanon that, again, in God's providence, we were reading Psalm 29, which talks about how the voice of the Lord causes those cedars to split. And the, the, Lebanon was proud of these, these massive trees. And so the idea in that psalm is, is the voice of God, the, the work of God is stronger than these trees you think are so mighty. And yet here God pronounces something similar that those trees will not stand. Fire will devour the cedars. Cedars are standing in as a representation of the leaders. They'll be burned to the ground. Then there's the renowned oaks of Bashan. They'll be chopped down by an axe. And then even the mighty lions of the region will roar in despair. They will wail also because why? Uh, Because the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. The thicket of the Jordan is uh, the brush uh, that dense brush along the banks of the Jordan where many lions uh, made their lairs and it was fertile hunting ground for them and yet now they've lost that. It's all been taken away. And so the leaders of the day, and it's hard to know, I, for me it's hard to know if are they referring to leaders within the people who are doing a bad job or are they referring specifically to the foreign leaders who've come in and And taken what is not theirs, namely God's people for themselves and are abusing them. Whether they're foreign powers or frauds from within Jerusalem, 
The point is that they cannot stand against the judgment of God. They might think they're as mighty as a, a cedar or an oak or as strong and ferocious as a lion. But God will come for his people and he will bring them down. This is what Puritan Thomas More says. And this is a good word of comfort for us as we think of the threats that we face in the Christian life. The enemies that seem to be too mighty, too daunting for us. He says, no defense shall protect the wicked from the punishment when God's time has come. Though they tower as high and strong as Lebanon, the storm will will bow their summits. And though they hide themselves as deep as the lairs in the creeping thickets of Jordan, the storm of God's wrath will find them out and wrap them in ruin. I'll take that to heart tonight, dear Christian, that there is no defense that will protect the wicked from judgment, the wicked uh, that assail you, Um, uh, the wicked that we even heard of moments earlier, cursing, cussing those who dare stand up and talk about Jesus, the precious treasure from heaven given to us. God will not let them have the last word. Take heart, dear Christian, and be warned, unbeliever, tonight. You cannot escape God's wrath. This judgment is announced. This judgment will come. As it came upon the false leaders, the, the fraudulent leaders of Israel, it will come upon all who stake their claim as enemies of God. A sober warning for us. Immediately after judgment is announced against the leaders, salvation is offered to the people. So judgment is announced. Secondly, salvation offered to the people by means of a new shepherd appointed by God himself. This will be Zechariah the prophet. Verse 4, thus says the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. So the idea is with the kind of leaders that they have, the people are nothing more than sheep just being Uh, prepared for slaughter their shepherds don't care for them they're feeding them just to fatten them up so that they can then feast off of them so they can get rich off their sale get rich off their slaughter for these poor sheep god provides a good shepherd in the person of his prophet zechariah and what god wants is zechariah to actually act out the role of the position of a shepherd and so he goes around Israel. We can imagine he's, he's wearing the getup of a, of a shepherd. He has two staves in his hand demonstrating in a very public way uh, the issue at hand of poor leadership and how God promises to address it. And so this is sort of like an enacted parable. Uh, back in 2019, a surprise mob descended upon um, Uh, The uh, Guggenheim Museum in New York City, uh, protesters pulling off a sort of acted out parable to demonstrate the dangers of the drug Oxycontin and to protest uh, its producers, um, uh, Pharma, uh, Purdue Pharma, which Purdue Pharma, the the owners of that company, supported the Guggenheim and and were... um, uh, financial backers of that institution. And so one Saturday night at the Guggenheim, 
demonstrators threw thousands of fake prescriptions from the top floor down through the, the atrium. You can see videos of it. It's like it's, it's raining these uh, slips of paper which represented the ways in which those drugs were just being kind of, there was these drug mills where people just write script after script after script. And then what the protesters did is they all fell down on their faces as though they were dead. Um, This is uh, the way in which they acted out what was inevitable to happen to millions more Americans if something major didn't change, that they would die from overdose. And so they just lay there in the museum. and, And this wasn't um, something that people knew that night as they went to the gala that this was going to happen. So you can imagine how, how powerful that would have been, how, how striking that would have been. God's telling Zechariah to do something like that. You know, I want you to act out something that people can see, that they can interact with, that will paint a picture, that will, that will preach a message in a way that's different than just words. Um, Hosea did something similar, didn't he? When God said, I want you to take Gomer as your wife. You could talk about the adultery of the people, um, but I want you to do something more than just talking. I want you to act it out. And so, verse 7. We see Zechariah in his prophetic role is called to move beyond just speaking, but to acting. Verse 7. So I did become the shepherd of the flock that was doomed to be slaughtered by these sheep traders. And I took two staves, one named Favor, the other Union, and I tended the sheep. I took care of the people. I did what these leaders should have done. And these two staves represent, uh, brothers and sisters, the way that God has always intended his people to be cared for. That One is, is favor, or in some translations, beauty. Really, it has to do with the tender heart of God for, for, for weak, wounded sinners. His people should know his tender love, his eternal faithfulness and favor is upon them. So rather than exploiting them, He loves them. And that love leads the flock to unity. That's why the second staff is called union. Remember right now the the people are divided. They've been divided for some time. And yet he says if you really come under God's leadership, if you submit to God's shepherds, it will bring you not further apart but closer together. The nation will no longer be divided under a good shepherd. In Zechariah verse... Um, let's see, verse 8. He also apparently destroys three of the wicked shepherds, routes out three of the wicked shepherds. Um, so he's not just leading them well, but he's also ridding them of their wicked leaders. Who the three shepherds are, we have no way of knowing. Some have suggested it actually is a stand in for the corrupted threefold office within Israel. All the prophets, all the priests, all the kings. He's saying, I, I dealt with this. I've purified, purified this. And yet, then something surprising happens. Uh, let this sink in. The people who had previously known only terrible rulers, self centered rulers, are finally given this good shepherd from God. And these people don't want him. They don't want him. The end of verse 8. I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. The NIV, helpfully, if you have that before you, helpfully inverts those clauses actually to show that the shepherd's exasperation is on account of the fact that the people have detested him, not the other way around. So, so it reads something more like, uh, they detested me, and so I became impatient with them. And so we see, thirdly, after a, a, a judgment has been announced and after a salvation is offered, we see, thirdly, a shepherd rejected. Verse 9. 
So I said, because they've been, they detest me, I said, I will not be your shepherd. Oh, and Zechariah, the, the, the attitude he takes, it's tragic, right? Whatever's to die, let it die. If you don't want me, fine. Be that way. I'll just leave. And, and you will either die because of lack of care, you'll be destroyed because of lack of protection, or you'll eat each other alive because of lack of control. These are things that, that any good shepherd could have prevented. But you remove that shepherd, and this is the result. In Zechariah, it's almost as though he's saying, you know, I, I wash my hands clean of you, and I shake the dust off from, from my feet. If you don't want me, fine. If you're going to reject me, fine. Now, there's something interesting, though, that happens there in verse 12. He says, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. Uh, he goes to, to some prominent people there in the, in the nation. And he says, if, you, if you'd like to pay me for the services I did render as a shepherd, that's fine. You don't need to. But, but here's an opportunity for you to show at least some acknowledgement, some appreciation for what I've done. And... They pay him 30 pieces of silver, which Exodus 21, 32 tells us was the same price owed to a master of a slave if somebody's ox gore his slave and killed his slave. Basically, they're saying, you know how much you're worth to us, Zechariah? You're worth, you're worth a dead slave's price to us. That's how much we'll give for you, 30 pieces of silver. Uh, he takes it. Not so badly. I mean, he kind of has a, a, a nice attitude. He calls it a lordly price, verse 13. He's being very, very sarcastic, right? Uh, maybe some of your translation, a handsome price. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that lordly price to which I was priced by them. So God says, take those 30 pieces of silver. Instead, give it to a lowly potter. Uh, who's this potter? The, the potter's in the house of the Lord, in the temple, uh, perhaps, as one scholar suggested, this used to be a, a, um, a position, like a staff position in the temple. The person who was in charge of donations of, of precious metals and the like within the temple. And so God says, toss it to the potter. But notice then, because they've rejected his good shepherd, God pronounces a judgment on now the whole people. Not just the leaders, but the whole nation. So verse 16 he says he's going to send to them a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Some people think this is Herod. This is pointing to the Herod that we come across in the New Testament. This is what happens when you reject God's leader. You get someone far worse. You see, Israel, they had it so good at this point when Zechariah comes in. They had it so good and they lost it all. They gave it all up. Why, though? That was a question I had as I wrestled with this chapter. Why do they reject him? I mean, he's, he's doing everything that they, that they need, and yet they don't want him. Wouldn't years of being under oppression have been enough to cause them to love and to loud this shepherd? Well, I think it shows us something of the wickedness and the perversion of the human heart. That even when the greatest thing imaginable is, is offered to us, is extended to us, the thing that we need most, if we think it threatens our autonomy, if we think it threatens the way of life we want to follow, we'll reject it. doesn't matter how precious it is. The sheep were glad to have Zechariah gone after years, generations even, of neglecting God's law 
and, and God's ways. The, the imposition of that law now from Zechariah didn't seem like a freeing thing to them. They felt like it threatened their autonomy. They didn't want him around. They had become used to going their own way, even if it meant um, at times being oppressed and abused by foreign powers. Well, at least they didn't have someone like Zechariah breathing down their necks, telling them how to live. And so they reject him. Friends, this is not the last time this would happen. The entire lived parable of this chapter comes into clearer focus when we turn to our New Testaments. Here in Zechariah 11, it's, it's, it's lived out by the prophet as a warning, as an example, as this illustration, a prediction of what would happen if Israel didn't get, get, get their act together, if they would reject God's appointed leader. But in the New Testament, we see that it's no mere picture or parable or prophecy, but in the life of Christ, it's a reality. This is exactly what happens to him. So consider with me, fourthly, a prophecy fulfilled. And I'd like you to, to flip some pages, and we're going to look at a few passages. It starts in John 10. That's the first place. In John 10... A well-known chapter, Jesus describes himself as the fulfillment of Zechariah 11. Now, it's impossible to know. He never quotes Zechariah 11, um, you know, in this chapter. So it's impossible to know, is he thinking of Zechariah 11 here? But the idea is, throughout the Old Testament, the image of a shepherd is used repeatedly of, of a faithful leader. And here, Jesus says, I am that one, the one sent by God himself. The good shepherd sent by none other than God. So rather than feeding off the sheep, he feeds the sheep. He, rather than taking their lives, he gives them life. The ultimate favor of God that Zechariah's staff represented, Jesus gives. So look at verses 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. There's that unity. Right? And Zechariah talked about the people all coming together and staying together. No, they rejected that as well. But Jesus says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus says, I'm coming from the father. And I'm coming from the father for one reason. To be the shepherd that you need And yet Jesus knew that just as Zechariah, a typological good shepherd, was rejected, he, the truly good shepherd, would also be rejected. So we move then to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, Jesus is standing in the temple. And he's speaking there. Verse 23, it tells us that he's arrived in the temple, and then the next two chapters, he's in the temple uh, preaching to the people. And he tells a parable in verse 33 and following that ends like this, though. Here's how the parable ends. You know that's about a master who, who leases out his land, but he's not getting uh, the, the payment from that land, and he sends servants, and nobody's... Uh, coming back with anything. And so he says in verse 37, finally, the master sent his son saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, 
This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. What's the point here? You see, friends, for the unregenerate sheep, the better the shepherd, the more they hate him. Uh, the natural man rejects Christ, rejects Christ precisely because he is the son of the father. Because he is God. His light exposes too much of their darkness. So they desire to snuff him out. Jesus is predicting what will happen to him. Then we move to Matthew 23. Jesus is still in the temple. And he looks upon the crowd. And he pronounces a condemnation of them. That's the same condemnation of Zechariah. The condemnation is that they don't receive the leaders that God has sent them. So look at verse 38. And we really hear Jesus' heart. Uh, We'll start at verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hens, gather her brood under her wings, and yet you were not willing. He sees what they've done. They have a pattern of, 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 uh, um, identifying somebody sent from God and killing them. John the Baptist, beheaded. And Jesus says, and I see how badly you need a leader, so I want to gather you like a shepherd would gather a flock or like a mother hen would would gather her chicklets under her wings. That's what I want to do for you. But you won't have me. You reject me. This rejection then ultimately comes in his crucifixion, where even when the sun is sent, they murder him. And like Zechariah, you know that his life and his worth are valued at a pitiful 30 pieces of silver. Finally, Matthew 27. What should we give for this man who was our shepherd? Verse 3, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver, the exact same price to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, the exact same action that Zechariah did, threw it into the temple, he departed, and he went and he hanged himself. Well, now there's 30 pieces of silver there in the, in the temple. And the chief priests taking the silver said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury because it's blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Fascinating. Now, Matthew says that he's quoting Jeremiah, but it's clearly also a reference to the prophet Zechariah. Actually, what happens there in verse uh, 9 and and 10 is he takes uh, two different Old Testament passages, one from Jeremiah 18, one from Zechariah 11, and he kind of smashes them together. But he just says he's quoting Jeremiah, probably because Jeremiah is the, the larger prophet. It's just a shorthand reference. But it's clearly... I mean, it's the potter's field. What did the Lord say? Give it to the potter. 
You would think these men, right? We're talking about chief priests, scribes, elders, men who knew their Bibles better than anyone else. They are literally enacting out Zechariah chapter 11, which ends very badly, by the way, comes with judgment. You think they would have this kind of light bulb moment where they realize, oh, maybe this isn't going the way we want it to go. What is happening before their very eyes is step by step what happens in Zechariah. They should have realized they were fulfilling God's oracle of judgment. That should have stopped them dead in their tracks because of how Zechariah's oracle ends. Because what does God do on account of the people rejecting Zechariah? He says, I'm raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed. In other words, if you don't accept God's appointed leader for your redemption and your restoration... He will appoint a leader for your ruin. Well, that means tonight, friends, we need to be very serious about this and recognize that there's a warning to us all in this text. After having seen this prophecy fulfilled in Christ, finally we must see tonight that there is a question put to us. A question put to us. And the question is this. Will you accept... Or will you reject the shepherd that God has appointed over your soul? Uh, Your sinful nature will protest against submitting to such a one. But we need to hear these grave warnings. Remember that parable that Jesus told about the master uh, sending his son so that the tenants would finally listen. They kill the son and then Jesus kind of stops the parable and he just turns to his audience and he asks them a question. He said, what do you think? Think with me. What do you you think that master would do upon hearing that his son had been murdered? And they said to him in answer, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. Is that the end that you want? Friends, repent. Believe on Christ. And instead, know the shepherd who promises, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We've seen so many similarities between Zechariah 11 and the life of Jesus and his being rejected by his own people that he came to love and to serve. There is one major difference, though. In Zechariah, you remember the prophet, he, he smashes those, those shepherd um, staves named favor and unity as a symbol that... that the covenant between God and his people had been annulled and rejected. God had rejected them forever. But in the gospel, we see there's another way. Because when Jesus comes, instead of the staff being crushed, the shepherd himself is crushed. God breaks his covenantal relationship with his son so that he can maintain a covenant relationship with you and me, rebels such as we are. The good shepherd laid down his life so that you and I could have life abundantly. Is he your shepherd? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your scriptures. And we thank you for the warnings that they they give us at times. The wake-up call that we receive that you are a loving God and you 
come to us and you give us the thing we need. You, you, you show your love by leading us. And yet, in our sin, we often reject that. We, we, we resist to our own folly and ultimately to our destruction. So, Lord, give us the faith we need to submit, to, to acknowledge that you are the leader. You are the shepherd. We are your sheep, and we would have it no other way because we do know that you are the good shepherd. Uh, you are the shepherd that meets all of our needs. And with you, we lack no good thing. So we thank you for that. We thank you that Zechariah 11 isn't the end of the story, but that Jesus came and he shows us um, the gospel. He shows us what you do, what you're willing to do for rebellious sheep. If we would just turn to you in faith and repentance, give us that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.